increasingly when I think about what's essential. in bringing together speaking and meditation, words and the wordless. It's something strangely that unless we really look for it, we won't even, it won't even come to mind. And it's exactly the moving back and forth across that very boundary. And what's so strange about it, perhaps, is that we're doing it all the time, but it's just invisible to us. Whenever we speak, we are conveying something that at its essence is not about language, it's not about words, it's the thing. If we say, I'm cold, well, we're conveying an experience that is a wordless experience. If we say, you look lovely today, that's not an experience that is essentially languaged, but we make it so, we bring it to language in order to convey something, either the kindness that uh, you know we want to offer or the sense of this physical experience of seeing the proportions of the face and the hair and the colors and so on, that that's pleasing on that particular day. But there's no inherent words to that experience. So all the time, Whenever we use language, we're moving back and forth across that boundary of that which has no language and we're giving it language. And whenever we listen to someone else speak and find meaning in it, we're going the other way we're receiving something that comes in the form of words and we're somehow translating it internally into an experience. So someone says, um, it's windy today invisibly to us, we've received basically sounds, parsed them into words, put them into uh, some kind of structure that uh, you know makes, would make sense, 
And those words tap down into prior experience, images, and so on. And we get it. Oh, it's windy today. We get the, the images or the sense of history that tells us what that means. So we're doing this all the time. Well, why do we pay attention to it then? Why am I talking about it? Because we're taking the audacious step of bringing language together with meditation. And in meditation, not only are we concerned with what has no uh, inherent linguistic nature, the movement of the mind and so on, but actually meditation itself is a path to diving beneath the concept forming of the mind in such a way that we can have insight into the very nature of the mind's world building. So we're, we're moving beneath that as a very explicit, intentional project of meditation. It's a project of liberation. It's a project of being freed from ignorance about the very nature of this constructing process and all of the pain and confusion that happens when we're identified, when it is invisible, when it is unseen. So if we're going to do that, if we're going to work at that subtle level in meditation, that drops beneath the concept formation, drops beneath even the world-building process, if, it gets, if the mind gets still and concentrated and alert enough, beneath that whole world-building process, then any invocation of language, any invitation of language into this process, had better be conscious of how it's crossing that, those lines, how it's moving back and forth between the wordless and that domain of language. Otherwise, the risk is that we simply import the relative crudeness of language into a subtle process, the process of meditation, the process of insight meditation. And in that crudeness, we just lose the meditative essence. That's the danger, right? And then it just becomes wordy, wordy thinking, language-based thinking, 
whether we're talking with another person or we're sitting by ourselves. It just becomes uh, something that partakes of and is stuck in the world. The world as in the fabrication that we call the world, this life. So this question of bringing language into meditation, speaking and listening into meditation, you might say forces us, but we could be kinder and say it invites us to look very closely at whether or how Language points beyond language. It points beyond itself into something that comes closer to that fine grain of the workings of the body-mind, the essence of the body-mind. For meditation practice, then, we actually develop a refinement of observation and a refinement of practice that is skillful and supple at that boundary, words and the wordless. From the standpoint of Buddhist psychology, the key concept is sanya, perception. So by way of you know, giving us a doorway into what I'm talking about, even as I'm speaking now, each of us is taking in the world from our own perspective through these sense doors. Each of us is seeing and hearing and feeling the body, sensing the body. Probably not too much taste and smell right now, I don't know. And there's, of course, mental activity and mental states. All of this is happening for each of us. And we say, oh, okay, it's like this. I'm sitting here, you know. Greg is offering a talk, it's nighttime, and so on. And the actual experience that you're having, that I'm having, is this, you might say, flood of continuous sense data, sense impressions. There's nothing inherently dividing anything about it other than what comes in through the eye and what comes in through the ear and the body. Those are divided. But what's coming in, let's say, through the ear, since I'm talking, is not inherently divided into anything any more than this visual tableau that you see in front of you is not inherently divided into objects like you know, 
Gregory, Buddha, Bell, Light, other person, and so on. That's perception. So the brain has these mechanisms, but let's talk about the mind. The mind is parsing it out, parsing this flood of visual information into chunks that we call people and Gregory and Buddha and so on. Perception, object formation. Now, what we have this remarkable ability to do is associate objects with words. So now you have man, or you have, more specifically, Greg, or you have teacher, or whatever, you know, you can lay any number of words over this percept. And each one has its tonalities and its meaning, you know, different meanings. You know, Greg's just a guy, right? Teacher, well, maybe you've got some construct about teacher, some, you know, overblown thing or something like that. Or maybe there's the emotional reaction, teacher, like like or dislike or something like that, response to power or something like that. Or Buddha, you see this thing, Buddha, and out comes whatever you're you know, however many times you've walked into meditation halls, heard talks on Buddhism, seen photographs of the Buddha, and bowed to the Buddha images, or been repulsed by Buddha images, or whatever has happened for you. Buddha. So now, the word and the percept point to this whole kind of a pyramid of constructs. And all of a sudden, it's very powerful. We could say something like, Greg is a Buddhist teacher, and it becomes a something. Just, just a bunch of sounds I just made. Greg is a Buddhist, you know, it's just sounds, but it links into our, you know, decoding of that, and then it goes back to our entire history of Buddha, Buddhism, Greg, teacher, all that stuff. And these can all be manipulated in different ways. And language has that power. A single word can be vast. It's a percept, but that single percept can key into something really huge. What about the word never? Two syllables, never. Wow, that's big, isn't it? Never. So you don't need too many words to put with never to make a pretty big deal. I will never meditate again. 
That sounds like a big deal. I'll probably never fall in love. Love. Now there's a good one. So you get the point that 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 the the universe of words is a universe of percepts that taps into the total framework, and, and again, back to Buddhist psychology, Sankara, all the constructions, all the memories, all the background. But what about experience? What about if I'm trying to convey something to you about how I felt when I had to, let's say, bury my cat? And I talk about going and digging into the hard earth. Well, you can get a sense of hard and earth and how it's not easy to dig into hard earth and you can feel that. And you maybe you've lost a cat before and you can tap into your memories and get that. But can I say anything about the, you know, burying 16 years or 18 years of this strange little friendship? And how much more so if I want to say something to you about what it's like to look at you and to feel the space between us or to see the recognition or the care in your eyes as you look back at me. What can I say that will go back to that? Or let's make it even, you know, perhaps more challenging. If I'm trying to describe something about just what it's like being aware right now. And I look around and just the fact that there's a world that that there's you see it, it, it even leaves me wordless. If I worked really hard and we had a really long time, I might be able to say something about what it's like being aware. But I think you get the point. It gets, can, can be very subtle. Now this, this boundary, this, this uh, moving back and forth between words and non-words, as I said, we're doing it all the time, like I'm doing it right now as I'm speaking, and you're decoding it right now as, as I'm speaking, as you're listening. But if we want to speak in meditation, A, without leaving meditation, without stopping meditation in order to speak, like not separating them, right? So not leaving meditation and B, 
capturing something of experience as it actually is, as close as I can possibly get. Then I need to, for one thing, I think this is parts obvious, speak having cultivated and while absolutely maintaining and not dropping the meditative qualities of the mind. And if you want to listen in meditation, then your listening also has to be ripe with the sati, the mindfulness, the samadhi, concentration, the quality of investigation and energy and, and so on. So there needs to be the steadiness of the mind in the meditative qualities. But also, there needs to be, uh, we can cultivate, and there needs to be, a familiarity with what it's like to come to an experience, whatever it is that one would speak of, let's say a feeling or an observation or something like this. And you might say, park next to it, you know, come into adjacency with it. And right there, find what is this experience? You know, whether or not at this moment I'm able to language it, I've, I need to be able to bring the mindfulness right up to it and just dwell there. You might say absorb or be intimate with the experience. Now, in meditation, this is what we call Sati, right? This is knowing the experience and there's enough steadiness and of tranquility to just remain. And we, we do this, for example, when we observe the breath. Breath is rising and falling. And there may or there may not be an attention to this or that feature of the breath at any given moment. But the basic experience, the overall experience, is one of just bringing awareness. However you do it when you practice with the breath. To, let's say, if the abdomen or the nostrils or the whole body breathing or whatever your practice is like. Now, a word can point you there like, I'm going to stay with the breath. You might have a thought like that. And you can even say, okay, let's say the breath at the, uh, the rising and falling of the abdomen. Noticing as the diaphragm, you know, naturally relaxes out and the air comes into the lungs. But when you get there, 
even if the car that you've driven there has some words on its wheels. When you get there, it's just the thing. So you do this, you already do this in traditional meditation. But in Insight Dialogue, you're called to do it with a variety of experiences built on the contemplations and so on. And not just to arrive at the experience, but to come back out of the experience, to leave the parking lot with your, the trunk of your car full of something to say. In other words, you've gotten something. So let's say I'm contemplating the experience of the mind being wide and open, which is something we've done. So the car comes into the parking lot of experience itself and notices, let's say, something about the visual field and the vividness, and maybe that it seems to go behind and around you and around us, or that it seems way vaster than this room, or that it's just a bubble like here. And I'm naming, I'm naming facets of present moment experience. That means I need to observe the experience and that's where the pause comes in, just mindfulness of what is this like. And observing it, there's some gathering of qualities. Oh, I'll say this about it. I'm noticing this aspect of it. Like the brightness or the, you know, or the, the breadth or the narrowness. And now I'm going to speak that. So there's a picking up and a dropping, and a picking up and a dropping of the language. Perhaps the best example that I could give is in this moment of experience, because that's exactly how I'm giving this talk. I don't know where this talk is going, but it has to unfold itself to make something that is both sensible and has value for you, the listeners. So each pause is a dipping into experience. Experience from the past, but also experience right now. So when I pause, I'm actually saying, you know, what, what is this? Where is this? Where have I been? Where am I going? But it's not like I, I have to cognitively work through and remember everything. It's all just part of the kind of the micro zeitgeist of experience. It's just like, this is what's happening. But when I want to describe something here and now, then these pauses are, are where I fill up the trunk, fill up the well, fill up the thermos, you know, whatever it is, in order to say something. So this is what we do, can do, in our meditation practice. 
So if you bring something to mind now, just to let you experience it in your own way. Let's say, um, bring to mind, let's say, a, a good friend. How's that? Just whoever that might be for you, okay? And maybe you have a visual image of him or her. What's the last thing you did with this person? When's the last time you saw them? So, if you were to tell me about this person, you could because you're so good with language, like all of us humans, you could just tap into this deep pool of memory and start talking and not stop. No mindfulness required, right? I mean, my God, it's a good friend. Gotta have a lot to say about this person. But if you wanna speak the truth, which is to say, if you want to speak from sati, then you need to touch down into, bring this person to mind, pause right there, sense into. Uh, so I'm picturing, for example, who comes to mind? A friend of mine. He's a poet who lives in, in um, Portland, Oregon. So his image comes to mind, and I pause. It's like an image is floating there, but I'm actually seeing all of you, so I don't even know where this image is. You see, I tap into the well, and I'll say he's slim, he's medium tall. He just wrote a very successful novel Now, I could be spinning all of this off in, in, you know, three seconds. I could tell you big, long stories. But there's a moving back and forth that I'm trying to do to, for there to be mindfulness with each and every feature, which would allow me to actually, if I wanted to, and if we wanted to take the time, move into pretty subtle aspects of our relationship because I'm not just giving you what I call pre-cooked vegetables. These are fresh vegetables. You know, it's real, it's here. All the more so that the pausing and this agility at the boundary of just a bare experience and words when you want to convey meditative experience. The example I just gave was fairly trivial intentionally because it's something we can all do right away. So anyway, we're invited in our practice, which we will be doing 
with Speak the Truth, Listen Deeply. To explore this space of words, of the wordless, to drop down into, beneath, let's say, to drop beneath the easy pickings of uh, emotions and images and thoughts and so on. To pause right there as these contemplations touch the mind. And to find layers of truth that might not otherwise be known. And as we do so, the meditation practice itself is unbroken. Unbroken. So even as mindfulness gets really, really bright, really strong, it's robust. It doesn't fall into the conceptualizing. It doesn't fall into the world-building process that is so easy to do when we invoke language. And when we listen, again, that quality of mindfulness and concentration that allows the steadiness as experience is unfolding, as the words are being received, we don't just fall into the world that's being built for us by the other. The words touch, and the process of going from the perception into the whole body-mind experience of making meaning can be known with the steadiness of mindfulness and concentration. So this will be our practice. It's something that we can you know, begin to explore, maybe play in, look around, and gradually get pretty good at. And when that happens, then the whole of the teachings, for example, of the Buddha can come into our meditation practice without just being thinking about Dhamma or something. It becomes real, becomes a lived experience. Contemplations become something that go right to the heart. Wisdom is something that moves between meditative practitioners. So there's a lot of reward if we're willing to do a little bit of work.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.